in the sky, gazing far into the night. I raise my hand to the fire, but it's no use, cause you can't stop it from shining through. It's true, baby, let the light shine through. If you believe it's true, baby, won't you let the light Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Thursday's Theology. Uh, I know it's been a while since our last podcast, but uh, turns out finishing seminary kind of consumes your life. So, uh, all that being said, I'm excited to be back. And today's guest is a very, very good friend of mine named Alex. Uh, he and I actually met... Uh, how did we meet? It was kind of like, it was just an email from somebody, right? I think so. Yeah, it was an email from somebody, I think, in my church who was just like, hey, you should meet this guy named Alex. Yeah. I think that's how it started. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, so. Wow, that, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of strange, but we've uh, we've been friends for a while now, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had some really, really great conversations over coffee. Amen. Yes. Lots of coffee. <laughs> Lots of coffee. It is, I believe, the fuel of the kingdom. <laughs> So, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Uh, so like I said, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Thursday's Theology Podcast. Um, this week, or this uh, this episode, I guess, we are going to be talking about evangelism, uh, because we have uh, an expert <laughs> here oh, with us. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, my, my friend Alex here is uh, is more or less an expert in evangelism, I would say so. Okay. Um, and he's going to share with us a little bit about uh, what evangelism is, why it's important, but before we dive into that, Alex, who are you? What do you do? Who, Hello. Like, how, how's your soul? Hello. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Wow. Hello, Jeff and friends. My personal story, grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Fly Eagles Fly. Moved around a little bit. I'll, I'll edit that out later. No. No. <laughs> Go birds. <laughs> Philadelphia to Portland to here in Santa Barbara, school in L.A., USC, go Trojans. Yeah, my, my, brother, on. my brother will not be happy about that. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> and then a pit stop in Delray Beach, Florida, and then back to Santa Barbara. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. Grew up going to church, grew up knowing about Jesus, knowing all the stories, all the answers, so on and so forth. But it was really in college when I was around the, the same group of people who were both my friends and fellow Christians in the same life stage as me. Hmm. And from there, some of those friends started showing me how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to talk to fellow believers about big things, about silly things, how to interact over lots of coffee mm-hmm. or video games or just doing life, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. And... Some of these people said, hey, do you want to go tell other students about Jesus? And at that point, I didn't know that that was weird. Mm. (laughs) So you were still still naive. (laughs) Yeah. No one had said no to me when I had invited them at that point. Okay. And everything else, these friends of mine were showing me lined up. I saw it in scripture. I saw it played out in the real world. I saw this other thing called sharing the gospel. I thought, let's give that a shot. Hmm. And one in seven students at USC is from either either India or China. Okay. And almost all of them are graduate students, a lot of them studying engineering. Okay. 
So to put that in perspective, these are some of the smartest people either of us will ever meet. Yeah, it sounds like it. And they've never heard of Jesus. Hmm. The problem is not intelligence. Right. The problem is not being smart enough, being good enough. A lot of these people are really nice. Mm -hmm. But no one has told these incredibly educated, cultured people who Jesus is. Hmm. And so for the first year, actually the first three years I was at school, I told so many people about Jesus and none of them believed. None of them on the spot wanted to follow him. And what was amazing, I can see in hindsight, at the time I was really frustrated. Yeah, sure, sure. I can see that because most of those conversations didn't get beyond just sharing who Jesus is. I didn't have time to get bogged down in theological debate. I didn't have time to get bogged down into political, cultural debate. It was just me over and over again sharing a simple story of who Jesus is. Mm. And the more you share something, the more you believe it. And so I just kept going. I kept sharing. No thanks. Kept sharing. That's nice that you have this thing. Mm. I'm good. Keep sharing. Get out of my face. Keep sharing a little bit of profanity. Then a lot of profanity. <laughs> yep. All kinds of stuff like that. But it, it never got outside of the scope of a simple gospel presentation. And somewhere in there, I realized, even as I was sharing this, that I wanted to follow Jesus for myself. Hmm. I had never done that before. I had never walked up to strangers and said, hey, do you know about Jesus? That would have seemed weird to high school me. Yeah. But then I'm out and I'm talking to these people and here we are. And it, do you know about Jesus? No, thanks. All right, moving on. Do you know about Jesus? No, all right, moving on. I just realized this Jesus guy is the real deal. Hmm. I want to follow him with everything that I have. Hmm. And then I, I just kept doing that over and over and over again. Yeah. So now I'm on staff with a church planting ministry called E3 Partners. Currently living here in Santa Barbara with my boy here, Jeff. Likely moving on, probably south. TBD on that. Mm -hmm. It's really TBA because God knows he just hasn't told me yet. <laughs> which is which is one of the great things about being a follower and one of the worst things about being a he, follower. He gives us a compass and not a map. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, we think in the moment, oh, I, Jesus, just tell me what, what the whole plan is. Tell me the whole step, whole whole process. But I look back and I would not have signed up to do a lot of the things that I have done. Yeah. But I, I, I realized I just want to take the next step in obedience, the next step of faith, whatever that is. And then soon enough you arrive. Hmm. Hmm. And I think that that's one thing that I've noticed time and time again, when it comes to the lives of believers, where I think what we expect is to, have this like fully developed mature faith <laughs> right right from the get-go you know you know like you say you say contradiction the in terms right <laughs> right you say the prayer you go to church every sunday you go to youth group boom you're you have this fully mature faith but the more and more i talk with like a lot of mature believers the more and more i realize that 
they started their journey with just a small step of faith and that one step grew into two steps into three and to four and then you might stumble but then you get back up and then you take another step so it's it's about almost a a a daily choice to follow christ yep you know yep um, something I want to circle back to that you said was uh, talking about how your your friends invited you into this mm-hmm. thing. Like you grew up knowing the answers, you grew up knowing, knowing that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to just ask you to to kind of uh, round out for us is, I guess this, with this question is how or where did you start to develop your own faith as opposed to something you grew up with? That was definitely freshman year of college. Okay. There's no such thing as an easy place to follow Jesus. Mm. That doesn't exist. I do remember being really challenged while going to a large, private, formerly Christian, now secular university Mm -hmm. in Southern California. I was around all kinds of things of the world. And I'm not, it's not my job to judge outsiders. I just know. A lot of the things I saw and was around, especially among classmates and friends of mine I really, really love, I just saw a lot of things that didn't line up with the life and love that Jesus invited me into. Mm. And back to your point, it was a constant daily, hourly, moment by moment, decision to follow Jesus in this area, in that area, and boom, boom, boom. So freshman year of college was really when it took off. It's definitely moved in waves since then. Mm-hmm. And evangelism is a part of that. When I'm functioning as a response to what Jesus has already done for me, evangelism just flows. It's, it's easy mm-hmm. in that mode. doesn't happen all the time. Sure. But... It, it can happen, and I think it's becoming the norm for me. Sure. I'm six years in, yeah, yeah, and it feels like it's just now becoming the norm. Well, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, with, with any job or with any uh, profession, you have to kind of settle into it. <laughs> you, yeah. know? You, don't, you don't come to work the second week on the job and just like, okay, I'm a veteran now. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you don't graduate right after you get the syllabus. Right. That isn't how life works. Right, right. And nor should it, because like I was talking with some some college students the other day, and we were talking about a lot of them just having that angst of wanting to be done and, and finished yeah. and stuff like that. And I was kind of relating it to this this idea of of um, I think it's C.S. Lewis who who calls it uh, cheap grace. Um, and I've I've kind of thought about that in in terms of other things in in the life of a Christian, and and one is just cheap faith, where you. I don't know, you just, you proclaim you believe, and you want to believe so badly that yeah. when trials come, you kind of shrivel under the pressure, because, yeah. like, you just haven't developed something. So, this idea of cheap faith, and I was talking to these college students, and I asked them this hypothetical question, I said, if you got, had, if you had been accepted to UC Santa Barbara, and then after your first quarter freshman year, the chancellor said, like, hey, here's your degree, would you feel like you earned it? Right. And... All of them said, not really, because, like, a quarter's not very long to, to study, <laughs> right? No, it's not. Um, no. So they were relating that and, and understanding it in terms of, like, I had to work my way towards it. I had to work my yeah. way towards this this thing, this degree, this piece of paper yeah. that says I have studied. Yeah. 
And I think so often that we can uh, overlook that same process in, in our own faith journey where yeah. it's a, it is a process. It, it is a, not to say that there's a diploma at the end, right. but it's something that you have to work for and work towards. It's not something yeah. that you just happen to get overnight. You, know? yeah. you can't buy it. You can't, you know, subscribe to it. Like you have to work at it. You have to yeah. like, toil with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think another thing too, uh, you, you said earlier that, that for you, it's coming in waves and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think that that message is actually not talked about enough in, yeah. in the life of a Christian because we don't talk about doubt enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think what, what happens when we don't talk about doubt is we set up this unrealistic expectation yes. that faith is just a forward moving, upward trending trajectory. Yeah. That's know? crap. Yeah. It's total crap. And I mean, right up front, Jesus is really clear. You're going to have trouble. Right. I mean, even going back to Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> like God says, because thorns of sin, thistles. yeah, you're going to have thorns and thistles. It's going to be hard work to, to till yep. the soil. Yeah. You know? So as you were describing that, it made me think of a few things. Psalm 1 and just my own personal experience. So Psalm 1, the man prospers in all that he does. Mm-hmm. Which to me would indicate that perfectly f- straight upward trajectory, 45 degree angle. Mm-hmm. But then, also in Psalm 1, in season, you'll bear fruit. Mm. So there's a seasonal aspect to this always prospering, mm-hmm. which I just thought about right now. That baffles my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to think on that later. Gonna get back to you. I don't know how you put that in your podcast. <laughs> Work that in somehow. Well, see, that's the that's the great thing about um, podcasting and, and talking about because this is one of the whole reasons I started this podcast was because the conversations I have with with you and with other people they just trigger so many other things that cause you to like wonder and like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the word for that or yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna chew on that more you know yeah. so I love that aspect about podcasting because things come up that were just like oh. We didn't really prepare for that, so we should probably... Yeah, like, we're doing it live. Stuff. Yeah, we're doing it live, man. <laughs> we are. And so I think in my own personal life, evangelism or otherwise, there have been seasons of fruitfulness mm-hmm. that I could see that were visibly, tangibly apparent. Mm-hmm. People repenting and believing on the spot, signs and wonders done. On the other hand, there were lots of Lots of times when I was sharing the gospel, when I was discipling other believers, when I was learning how to talk to to and with my parents, when I was learning how to handle money, that were not flashy. Mm. There was no social media ready moment where I could just capture it and generate a lot of excitement. Yeah. But it was incredibly fruitful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the most underrated connections that we fail to make as Christians is the fact that our call to be a disciple is also a call for us to be disciplined. Yes. Yeah. Share the root. Yeah. Because, like, the, the the thing about it is, like, for instance, um, I worked at a church in San Leandro, California for, for three years, and the, the associate pastor, who is now the lead pastor, is also named Jeff. Uh, <laughs> In fact, shout out to Jeff Bruce, uh, Missy Man, love you. Hope everything's going well at Creekside. Um, I actually texted him the other day. This is a side note. I, I texted him because uh, I got my hair cut 
and looks good. Thanks, man. Looks good. <laughs> Take his word for it. <laughs> um, but the the shortness and kind of the it, it's almost like a mohawk, but not not. Was it Jeff like? Oh yeah. So I, I texted him a picture of it and I said I uh, I went into the barber and asked for the Jeff Bruce, <laughs> and my barber had no idea what I was talking about, but that's what I ended up. Well, they <laughs> so, learned. So anyway, uh, shout out to Jeff. Um, the reason I bring him up is because the idea of being disciplined is is that um, when I was working at Creekside, he was my supervisor and mentor, mm-hmm. and every single week we would go for a walk at 2.30 on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, depending. But we would go to Starbucks, get drinks, and then walk around the neighborhood. Sweet. And sometimes we would talk about um, discipleship, sometimes we would talk about mentorship, sometimes we would talk about sociopolitical issues and sometimes we didn't really have any fruitful conversations at all Mm -hmm. but i look back at that time and i i remember that weekly discipline of going to a coffee shop and walking the neighborhood with jeff i knew i always had the opportunity to grow and it challenged me to actually come up with good questions amen so it was funny because uh when when i left creekside to come to santa barbara uh jeff bruce in his in his uh card uh, wrote that you know he he'd missed me and stuff like that uh, but we joked with each other that on our walks, we were solving the world's problems. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we were talking about, you know... Like, everything. Everything, you know? Across the board. Um, but I think that that weekly discipline really uh, sharpened me as yeah. as a believer. Because I look back at my three years at Creekside, and it was the, the period of my life that was pivotal. Mm-hmm. Because I was going one way in my career, or so <laughs> I thought. And then God was just like, that's funny, you're going the other way. Reverse. Right. So it was at Creekside that I realized my pastoral call. It was at Creekside that I really started to develop my pastoral gifts and talents. And it was at uh, Creekside where that weekly discipline with meeting with Jeff and, and having those conversations really sharpened me as as a believer and as a, as a steward and as a shepherd. Um, so I look back at that time, I'm like, that, that was a very pivotal formation building time for me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the idea of, of being disciplined is, is that we live, especially in American culture, we live in an instant gratification society. Yeah. So if it doesn't yield results immediately, then we're done. Um, we need a microwave and not an oven. Right. Um, Jesus guarantees the opposite. Yeah. And it was actually funny because I, I preached the Sunday after Christmas, which I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Um, the Sunday after Christmas is, a decline? Is, <laughs> is referred to lovingly as Youth Pastor Sunday. Oh, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because all the lead pastors go on vacation and the, and the oh, to the... have to fill in and preach. Um, so you get called JV. So what? Do they get called JV? The B team? Yeah, pretty much. There's always like uh, self-deprecating jokes, um, which are not actually as humorous. No, not as... not if you really think about it. Yeah. Like sometimes they're humorous. Uh, for instance, when I got up to preach, I this was at the point in my life I had my my man bun. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I have, you know, a Greek and Hebrew tattoo on there my you forearm. Go. Work it. So I got up on stage because I was guest preaching at, a, at another church and then I preached here the next week. But anyway, I got up on stage and I said, uh, good morning, my name is Jeff Ketzel. And if you couldn't tell by the, the, the plaid, the, the hair and the tattoos, I'm a youth Lensless pastor. glasses? No, I did, I did. Okay, so funny story about that. So I have an older sister and a younger brother, right? My older sister and my younger brother both have really, really curly hair. And 
uh, glasses. Where? How did we get here? Oh, yeah, it, it'll make sense. Okay. Um, so I'm the middle child. Okay. I have wavy hair mm-hmm. and 2020 vision. Oh yeah. So I told them I'm kind of jealous of their need for glasses because I feel like glasses would complete my my look. Of course. You know, but I'm not as <laughs> I'm not that vain mm-hmm. to like go out and get like fra- uh, lensless glasses or mm-hmm. or non whatever they're called like. Just, yep. So I, I don't want to do that because nope. I, I don't want to fake it. Um, how did we get here? I have no idea. <laughs> I, have, I have a thought on evangelism. Okay, go for it. Which might be related sure. to our topic. Sure. Three or four tangents back, but that's okay. <laughs> that's I mean, that's how our conversation that, is going. That is how it goes, yeah. <laughs> that's so accurate. Um, you mentioned walking with people, mm-hmm. in this case Jeff, mm-hmm. weekly to talk about just life that pretty well captures how I love to do evangelism actually Mm -hmm. in discipleship. Mm -hmm. So, so many of my pivotal, actually foundational conversations happened with friends of mine while we were out telling other people about Jesus. Mm. So we're talking, how's it going? Get caught up. How was your homework? How's oh, let's go share with this person here. However long that takes, a little bit later, a little bit later, pick up our previous conversation, talk about how that time sharing went, and it was while I was out in the field that I discovered my passion in regards to evangelism is not actually to be the guy sharing. For some people, mm. they live for that. Mm. Some people. I know are annoyed that they need to spend time with other believers. <laughs> they recognize the need for it. They see it's there. Sure. But when someone asks, how's your heart? They just want to say, I don't know. People are dying. That's how my heart is. <laughs> so they're burdened for us. They're, they're burdened for the lost yeah. as some would say. Yeah. 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 For me, I do have a similar burden and I do enjoy sharing. It does give me a rush. But the real euphoria comes in when I'm walking side by side who is learning how to share. Mm. Walking by, side by side with someone who's learning how to share. Sure. When that person maybe has never shared before or is scared to mm. or has shared with people but hasn't really discipled someone. Right. It's seeing that person rise to my level of experience and wisdom or surpassing me, which is the real dream. Oh yeah. Yeah. Replace yourself with someone better. Yep. Yep. That's really what we want to see. And that's an interesting point that you make, because I think that one of the, the first conversations that we had when we were getting to know each other was just a recognition of you have, uh, apostolic and evangelical or evangelistic, (laughs) Yeah, that one, <laughs> evangelistic gifts. The difference a few letters makes. Right, and for me, I I have uh, shepherding and teaching yeah. gifts, and I think I share a very very similar thing with you, where I I work with students, junior high, high school, and college, yeah. and being able to foster uh, an environment where they become curious for themselves. Yep. Because I can I can stand up on stage and I can tell them all these stories. But I feel like the real rush comes when they start asking me questions yep. 
about like, hey, what does this mean? Or when Jesus says this, what, what do you think is going on? Oh, it's the dream. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I know somewhere in scripture it says, you know, out of the mouths of babes. Yes. <laughs> um, Psalm does. Yeah, Psalm, Psalm 2. And it's, it's funny because that is so true with what I've experienced sometimes with students who come up and, and ask me really, really profound questions. Ooh. Um, like, for instance, this past Sunday, I had a brand new junior hire in my group. Yes. Uh, who just moved up. Let's go. And uh, his question was, because we were studying the parable of the wedding banquet. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the guy who didn't have the wedding robes on and he was thrown out of the party. And um, he he asked, he raised his hand, he's just like, so what does that mean for people who have never heard of Jesus? Woo! And I was just like, dude. You, we're doing it. You, you just went there, man. I All just, right. Welcome I, to I, the party, pal. I guess this is where the conversation's going to go. <laughs> mm. um, but I told him, like, that is a very, very profound question. Sure is. Um, and I think that that really sparked in me my own uh, ideas of evangelism, where we're that's what we're called to do. Like when, when Jesus gives us the great commission, it's not to share it with an isolated group of, of no. believers in Jerusalem. It's, you know, how many, how many people, all of them, all of them, <laughs> all of them. Huh? <laughs> so huh, that's interesting. So yeah, I think you and I share a similar, um, just excitement for seeing people develop and, and come into their own. Yeah. Um, which I think is great, which I think like, cause then it's not about, you know, our own gifts and talents. It's about right. stewarding and fostering and, and helping other people grow in theirs. Yep. And, and that's, like, for me, that's the, the best part of youth ministry is, yep. is helping students realize their giftedness and living into that. Amen. So. Amen. So this last week, a week ago, I should say, uh, I was in Yosemite okay. National Park. What, what? First time there. Oh, nice. How'd you like it? I loved it. It's gorgeous, huh? It was incredible. The week before... It had rained an unprecedented amount, mm. like two or three times as much water as usual. Wow! As much water density as usual. So we go, a little bit of rain on our first day. Oh yikes! I don't really know how it's going. Perfectly clear the entire trip. <laughs> uh huh. But the waterfalls and the rapids were extreme. Yeah, they were awesome. So I was there. Because there is a YWAM team, Youth with a Mission, yeah. that is based near the park. They do a lot of ministry with people going to the park, people in the Fresno area, etc., etc. And we were doing a lot of training with them for evangelism and discipleship. Okay. And then we got into church planting a little bit, and that was fun. Nice. Because, I mean, naturally. You, you just have to. <laughs> you just have to. you got a group of believers who are baptized, who are doing all the things that a church is supposed to do biblically. Therefore, that's a church. Yeah. So we did some evangelism training, and then everybody went out into the neighborhood, and we returned with some stories. Nobody on the spot went from death to life, new Christian. Mm-hmm. But you'd be hard pressed to realize that because of how much excitement was in the room. Hmm. Hmm. People were so thankful that we had talked with them. People had been praying the day before. People had been just looking for some community. This, that, and the other thing. And even people on the YWAM team were thankful just to have some simple tools. Hmm. 
for sharing the gospel. And I think that that is a very, very key thing that you and E3 Partners does. Yeah. Because I think, at least growing up for, for me, evangelism was always like this big, scary, like, yes. you know, unless you're converting thousands a day, <laughs> then you're not doing it right. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it, it can be a very intimidating thing to, yep. to go up to a stranger and be like, let's talk about Jesus, you know? Yep. Um, so it can be, yeah, absolutely. So I think having, again, simple tools to just approach that is like yeah. great. Yep. So I, you've mentioned these, these two words, evangelism and discipleship. Yes. So let's, uh, let's talk about those. Let's talk about it. How are they different? How are they intertwined? Why are they important? Evangelism, as I understand it right now, is an invitation to relationship First, between people we talk with and God. Mm-hmm. Second, between people we talk with and us. Mm. So the priority is relationship with God. Yeah. As it should be. I, yeah, I'm right. agreeing with you. <laughs> that person, other people loving us, doesn't save them from eternity in hell. Mm. That person loving Jesus not only saves them from eternity in hell, but also gives them on the spot eternity with life and life incarnate right. forever. So, I was thinking about passages that I've have been foundational for me as we were talking about this, as I knew I was going to be coming here, and I think the second half of Ephesians 2 is really underrated. Mm. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is incredible. Like, it yeah. is awesome. That's, I mean, it's preached on a lot. <laughs> Deserves every sermon it gets. Yep. The second half is incredible, because God... RuPaul is talking about how these Gentiles, which, by the way, I think the two of us are, biblically, Mm -hmm. Gentile background believers, I believe is the term that we would use today. Yep. You were once far off, but now you've been brought near. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit later, the phrase that just blows my mind. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Mm. That is why I go share the gospel. Hmm. Because I want to invite other people who are currently far off, cut off, and orphans Mm -hmm. into the family of God. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's that same chapter in Ephesians where it goes on to say that all of you together are being built into a holy dwelling for the the spirit of God. Which, again... What? Yeah. it, It blows your mind because I think one of the things that we often get caught in is this individualized faith. Yes. You know, where it's it's all about my walk. It's all about my faith journey. It's all about what I believe. And there is something to be said about a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. However, we are not only children. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Amen. Um, And I was telling that to, to my students the other day where I told them, like, once you accept Christ and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, whether or not you like it, you're part of a family. Yes. You have brothers and sisters. Yes. Um, so it's no longer, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of adoption, so adopting you into the family of God. Yeah. The family of God is huge and dysfunctional and wonderful and crazy and... You ever all... read Genesis? <laughs> yeah. All Woo! things. Woo-wee! Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think you're, you're absolutely right where... Um, this idea of, of sharing with others and bringing them into the family yep. should be yep. what drives it. Because yep. I think 
unfortunately, evangelism has gotten a bad rap from yeah. people who are not do not have the best of motives or delivery or or yeah or delivery, and that's that's the thing. Like we, when we're called to share the gospel with people, we have to do it tactfully. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's not about like, you know. I know your your dog just died, but let me tell you about why your dog won't be in heaven, and that's for your benefit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that so, uh, don't do that. <laughs> that I'm was not, a, I'm not speaking from experience. Yeah, I that just, was a textbook case of what not to do <laughs> on a lot of fronts. Sure, not just evangelism, but just loving others. Right. Anyway, yes. Um, I hadn't thought about the end of that passage in Ephesians 2 in regards to this, but evangelism, basically an invitation. You want to join the family. Mm-hmm. We're not getting into fights. We're not getting into arguments. We are not trying to prove people, convince them. Mm-hmm. For two reasons. One, that person's already said no. Jesus explicitly says, kick off the dust, move on to the next town. Mm-hmm. The second reason is because right around the corner is someone eager, burning for this. Mm-hmm. So why are we spending time with someone who's explicitly said no when there are starving people just waiting for the food that we bring them? Right. Evangelism is an invitation to the family. Discipleship is that building up into the dwelling place of God. Right. So Which is incredible. We, I've never thought about that the before. Discipleship. I, I wanted to circle back because I think the parable of the wedding feast is, is yeah. very appropriate for this conversation yeah. as well. Because I think another warped idea that has come out of evangelism, yeah. especially in America, is is that it is our responsibility to make sure people accept the gospel. Yeah, that's also not true. Yeah, not at all. Like our our job is to to share. Yes, you know. Um, yes, but. In the parable of the wedding banquet, if you, if we look at it from an evangelistic point of view, um, you are invited to yeah. the wedding banquet. Amen. The the king doesn't force you to come to the wedding banquet. He nope. invites you to come to the wedding banquet. So it's up to up to us as the individual to either accept or decline that invitation. Yeah. So those who decline, yeah, we we move on. Yeah. You know we can't. We can't make them accept the invitation. Yep. All we can do is just present it. Yep. You know? Um, so anyway, I think that that's one of the things that, that has been very negative that's come out of evangelism is this idea of, well, if you are if you don't accept, then, you know, that's a mark against me as my ability <laughs> to share. Yeah, you know? which I did struggle with. Mm. Right. I, oh, yeah. Early on, I did spend probably too much time arguing with people. Mm. And I did feel this enormous pressure to be the one who leads these people to Jesus or this, that, or the other thing. Right. And I think that we can very easily replace Jesus with ourselves as yes. a savior. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That totally happens. So. I've, I've just seen a, yeah, a complete reversal of my definition of a win hmm. in evangelism. Yeah, it used to be pretty similar to the warped perspective you're talking about, where I need to be the guy baptizing. Three thousand were added to their number, and right, right. 
Signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles and on and on. And I really just wanted a highlight reel. Yeah. I wanted Alex's yeah. book of Acts. Yeah, yeah. What is so life-giving about how Jesus actually lived and told us to live, it's both an invitation and a command, is that the only way to lose or not win in evangelism is to not go. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how people respond, regardless of what people say, if you told them about Jesus, that's a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The continuum is on the one end, on the spot, repent and believe, this is what I've waited for my entire life, thank you, yes, baptize me, and his whole family was baptized. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's a win. Right. right. I think we need to clarify that. That's awesome. Yeah. When that happens, praise God. Yeah. That's and incredible. it does happen. And it does happen. It and does. it happens in America, by the way. Yeah. It's And it's going to continue happening. Let's go, Lord. Yeah. On the other end of the continuum is brutality, physical, verbal, um, legal. I know some people have gotten some pretty rough legal proceedings brought against them or... They were cheated out of money or just all kinds of awful stuff that can happen when you are a known follower of Jesus. Yeah. And to that, Jesus says, well, so their fathers did to the prophets before them. Mm-hmm. So if I am reading that correctly, and please help me out here, okay. Bible scholar. <laughs> I will try my best. When we share the gospel and other people have very harsh things to say or do in response we in some way are join the company of Isaiah and Jeremiah <laughs> yes but I think that's uh, too limited of a scope because we we join in all the saints yeah um, especially two two things come to mind one Jesus telling his disciples like when you go out and the world hates you, take heart because it hated me first. Yeah, so, okay. So there's that. Keep it going. And then also, Preach. I just got done reading about, I, I, I read through First and Second Samuel. Fascinating, by the way. Like, I have, I have a, I don't think I have it in my office, but I have an archaeological study Bible. Oh, I, I spend is just... Is that a doorstop? It, it is. It's a very hefty book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... It's not a carry-on. It's illegal. Yeah. You got to you got to check that. Yeah, you got to check that thing. <laughs> it would uh, actually <laughs> it would put you over the fifty-pound limit. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, in in the story of First and Second Samuel, when especially in First Samuel, where Israel's like, "Give us a king! Give us a king!" Yeah. Uh, uh, Samuel's just like, "No, like you I don't, don't want that." Uh, yeah, you don't want you don't know what you're asking for. And then when God is talking to him, he basically says, "Well." Take take heart because it, it's not you they have rejected it's me they have mm. rejected. Wow! And like yeah. for me, I read that as a as a warning and also as a comfort. Mm-hmm. Where it's not me that they hate. Right. It's completely. It's the message. It's the yeah. it's the gospel. You know. Yeah. Um. So I take heart in that because it allows me to not take it personally. Mm. It allows me to to get back up. When that knocks me down, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. Where we 
when people when we share the gospel and it is rejected, yeah, it's not anything having to do with us. It's no. everything having to do with the the heart towards the gospel. Completely. So, um, okay. So we've talked about evangelism. We've talked about discipleship. I wanted to ask you a, something about evangelism. Yeah. Where I think again is another pitfall that we've fallen into. Does evangelism stop with one conversation? No. That the short answer is no. Okay. For me, at least. The longer answer is it depends on how you know the person. Sure. So, with family members, obviously not. Right. Win or lose, regardless of the response. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, is no lose in evangelism. Great or terrible conversation. Sure. It's still a conversation. It's still a conversation, yeah. and we pray you're going to see that person again. Right. And you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to talk about life, work, on and on it goes. With a person on the street that you don't know and might never see again, well, that would probably depend, I think, on how they respond. Sure. There are a lot of people I've shared with who I've never talked to again, but it wasn't out of frustration or anything like that, but I'm no longer in the city where I met them. Right. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of Christians can take personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, well, I failed at this and stuff like that. But I I read an article uh, a while back talking about how, on average, it takes six positive interactions with a Christian for somebody to have a positive association. Sounds about right. So I think what we have to do is, again, break that cycle of individualistic thinking. Yeah. And rely on God bringing in other people behind us. Yes. To to continue the work. Yes. You know? Because, like, I think the... I used to have a real, real issue with the whole, you know, shake your, shake the dust off your cloak and move on. Yeah. Because I was just like, but what about? Yep. But what I've come to learn is, is that if they're unresponsive to you, yeah, you shake the dust off and move on. But that doesn't mean the next person coming in sharing the gospel right. will will have the same totally response, different. You know. Yeah. Because sometimes it takes a while for somebody to, to, be turned into fertile soil. I guess for yeah. lack of a better phrase. You yeah. Know? Um. So I think that. I have a lot of comfort knowing that it's not all on me to right. save humanity. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. Jesus already saved humanity. Yeah, we just have to box. share about it. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know? Um, okay. So the question I have to, to wrap up is, uh, in your opinion, why is evangelism important? All right. Shooting from the hip here. As you asked, I just thought of the phrase loving obedience. Mm. Why'd that come to mind? <laughs> this is kind of harsh. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sure. Yeah. Wow. All right. That is a a high call, mm-hmm. both for love and obedience. Yeah. So, sight unseen, what Jesus says to do, I want to do it. Mm. Because I love him. Mm-hmm. And he says, if I love him, I will obey his commandments. All right. I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. And on the, oh gosh, I guess more intense side. <laughs> um, There's a more intense side? Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. So I'm, I'm working through on how to explain this and also how to understand it. Okay. But Jesus also says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, 
I think the best way for, at least for me, that I understand both of those things is as a son. Of course I love my parents. Praise God, they're solid believers. They're awesome. Shout out mom and dad. Love you. Um, of course, if I love them, I will do the sane and reasonable things that they tell me. Mm-hmm. They tell me to do something stupid. Obviously, use wisdom, etc., etc. But Jesus only ever tells us to do things that are good for us and others. Right. And I love him. Like he's my first love. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Right. It it is good for me. It it is good for my soul. Yeah. To and, share the gospel. And what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is your passion and drive for evangelism is based and rooted in the foundation of your relationship with Jesus. Yes. Because I think that that's another thing that people can get very, very wrong in yeah. evangelism, oh, where yeah. the motivation and the underlying root is self-glorification or whatever it may yeah. be. But Or fear. or fe- Yeah, exactly. But what you're saying, and what I think is an important thing to highlight, is, is that it comes from, I love Jesus, Jesus has transformed my life, yeah. I want to see Jesus transform everybody's lives. Yeah. Demoniac tries to get in the boat. Yeah. Take me with you. If there has ever been a more eager, willing disciple than that, I don't know him. Mm-hmm. And what does Jesus say? Without any formal training, without anything, he says to this guy, go and tell your friends. Mm-hmm. That guy has, has no fear or legalism about it. He's just been set free mm-hmm. from this crippling, just life-shattering situation. Life-defining. It was all-consuming for him. Of course he's going to go tell people right. Who, right. who this guy is, who yeah. this man from Galilee is. I see a similar thing with uh, the Samaritan woman at the beginning yeah. of John's Gospel where she goes back to the village and basically shares with everybody and everybody comes out and they invite them to stay. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. So it's nuts because we, we think we can you know pinpoint evangelism as like this methodical like this is step a this is step b this is step c yeah where evangelism truly at least in my opinion is you take that playbook you tear it up and you have conversations about jesus and wherever that leads is wherever that leads yeah so the tools are great i'm a fan of tools i love tools we talked about some tools earlier today Mm -hmm. the best tool is the one you use Mm -hmm. and so if somebody's sharing the gospel without any game plan but people are hearing praise god for that yeah the the thing that breaks my heart is people saying they're not called to evangelism Mm. that's not true and that's such a uh important distinction because i think that we can use christian legalism to get around it we're just like oh well i'm just not gifted in evangelism yeah well you're not gifted at singing either but i've heard you (laughs) but you're up there on the choir (laughs) you got arms high and latte lifted you're tone deaf, but I can hear the sound coming out of your uh. mouth right now. So, so um, what what came to mind as you were just sharing was um, the the quote that Michael Scott has on his <laughs> <laughs> that he has on his I think it's on his whiteboard or poster. It's just like uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky, Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think what what that refers to is is the yes. what you were talking about with the with the tool like yeah. 
the best tool is the one in your hand. Yeah. And you're you can't expect to build anything. You can't expect to advance anything yeah. unless you put it to work. Yeah. So. And you try it. You try it. You learn. You gets better. The the knife gets sharper. Yeah. The scalpel gets sharper. That's better. Yeah. We're going for precision and subtlety here. Yep. And you just you just get started. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen lacking is the church. And this is speaking from experience as well as experience of my own life and from what I've seen in others and other churches. Some people haven't been told that they're a member of the priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. And others have been held back from that. Yeah. So whether negligence or malice, people just haven't been set loose for it. Mm. So uh, you want me to give you a... Uh... Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, this is going to be a condensed history lesson. Are you ready for this? Drop it. So we are currently living in the postmodern age. Yes. And uh, one of the things that has been kind of a, a definition or a hallmark of the postmodern age is the age of the expert. Yeah. Now, the age of the expert uh, developed pretty much in the 40s and 50s uh, because basically up until that point, general education, you went to high school, you got this general education, you you learned how to do multiple things, mm-hmm. um, and then you were a contributing member of society. Right. All that changed with the advent of atomic warfare. Because once the atom oh. bomb was developed, all of a sudden there's this science that nobody was prepared for in general education. Right. So you needed experts. So you defer to the experts in order mm. to explain to you what, what it is. Yeah. So since then we've seen expertise in computer science, in engineering, and, and again, I, I want to pause and say there's nothing wrong with expertise in a field. I want experts working on everything you just described. Right. Me, as a historian and theologian, you wouldn't want me doing your taxes. Like, that's no. that's not something you no. want. Um, so there are benefits to having the expert. But one of the big detriments, especially to the church and its development, has been we have deferred a lot of the responsibility that the church and the priesthood of all believers uh, has to the quote-unquote experts, the pastors, right. the, the, the professional evangelists. Yes. Um, the, the ones who have written books and have spoke at camps and, and stuff like right. that. So I think one of the, the detriments that we kind of fall into is, is that, oh, well, I'm not an expert. Yep. You know, I'm not called to do that. Yeah. But we're all called. Like we're like yeah. you said, we're a priesthood of all believers, meaning it's all of our jobs. Yeah. You know? And you so. actually don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's not up to you. Yeah. There are a lot of things in life that are up to you, mm-hmm. to each person, I mean. And there are a lot of things that are not. Mm-hmm. You don't have control of gravity, and Christians don't have control of whether or not they're an ambassador. Yes, and because the Great Commission is not does not have any like, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Specificity. Yeah, yeah, limitations. It doesn't have any um, like, oh, unless you're this, unless you're that. It's like if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and rose again for and saved you and and reconciled you unto God, you better believe you're going to be charged with telling people about it first promise follow me and i will make you fishers of men yep yeah peter james and john didn't have a choice in the matter yep (laughs) you are a fisher of men yeah welcome right and i think what it reminds me of and that has really been challenging to me uh especially the last couple years of my life has been when paul talks about you know running the race yes he doesn't call us to be spectators of the sport (laughs) Woo! You know, 
we we are running. Yes. We fought, we're in our lane. We're running the race. Yep. So it's not a passive thing. It's an active participation. Yep. Yeah. So. I think there are experts in... Sure. Even in church activity. Yeah. And praise God for that. Praise God that there are people who are incredible, incredibly knowledgeable and experienced in any church activity. Yeah. There are people out there who, who fit that description for yeah. anything Jesus commands us to do. But on this particular topic, Jesus was a big fan of using uneducated common men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even the, the brainiac other group this guy Paul I mean he he clearly uses his knowledge in letters like Romans is incredible <laughs> Romans is Romans. incredible and incredibly difficult and it hurts my brain to even think about yep I I also don't think his background or his education as a Pharisee was a prerequisite for a lot of the fruit oh, in no, his life not at all not at all. And I, I think, I mean, again, as you were talking about just common men being used, the first gospel, Mark's, Mark's account, is written, well, first of all, there's the word immediately is used in Mark's gospel. It is the Jason than, Bourne gospel. It, it, it is. is high speed, low drag. Yeah. And it's written in very simple uh, Greek, meaning that it was, if you had a basic education, you could read it. There you go. So once you get to, to Luke's gospel, that's when it becomes like the, the nuanced Greek yes. and stuff like that. But Mark's, high Greek or... Yeah, high, high Greek, I guess. Mm, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Let's let stew. Right in the Mediterranean. Oh, <laughs> look at the sunset. Mm. Um, but Mark's gospel, the first one that was, was authored and, and yeah. spread, was simple Greek. He was excited to get the message out. And yeah. And he, he used the, the education he had to... Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think a lot of people mistake, like you said, expertise for um, ability. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, oh, I'm, I'm grateful. Now we're getting into it. Yeah. Huh. I'm, I'm grateful huh. that, that I went to seminary and that I'm trained and stuff like that. Amen. But I also am not naive enough to think that that qualifies me more than somebody else. No. You know? Because, in fact, like the sixth grader I was telling you about earlier, that question... Whew, that that forced me to use my seminary education, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I think I've met so many people. Like my dad, for instance. My dad, one of the most biblically literate men I've ever met. Didn't go to seminary. Hasn't hasn't gotten to graduate school. And he's bright. He's intelligent. He's sharp when it comes to the Bible. So to me, that shows you don't need all these fanciful degrees hanging on your <laughs> wall. <laughs> Um, points to degrees on wall. Yeah, points to degrees on wall and points to the space where my other one will go. <laughs> oh, there it is. Uh-huh. Um, but, Two you know, family. I, I, uh, I count that all as, like, trash. Amen. <laughs> With, uh, compared to what God has called me to. Yeah. You know? So, I think I've, I've appreciated the training, but yeah. I also recognize that the, the education and the degrees doesn't qualify me more yeah. than anybody else that's been called. Well, what's Jesus say about a scribe who comes to faith? That it's like a man who brings out old and new treasures. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's incredible when, and then later in Acts 6, when all these scribes start believing, you have these 
people with massive just troves of knowledge yeah. and understanding how the Hebrew Bible points to who Jesus is and mm-hmm. all these things. I'm just thinking about things that I'm learning recently. And is evangelism obviously a part of it, but in First Timothy, Paul lays out the standard for leadership. Mm-hmm. First Timothy three is especially what I'm thinking about, but also Titus one, a little bit in First Peter five, and James. So much of that list, so much of those scriptures are about character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, husband of one wife, self-controlled, not argumentative, not quarrelsome, mm-hmm. not a drunkard. Someone who loves his kids. Someone loves his kids. And able to teach is mm-hmm. the skill slash education mm-hmm. piece of that, mm-hmm. which is important. You, you can't just have, back to the expert thing, You neither of us should be anywhere near a clean room. Mm-hmm. I am not, I have no idea how to make a computer chip. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I think, where that comes in. Yeah. On the flip side, and this is where it's so different from church today in America, mm-hmm. you actually don't need a seminary degree to lead a church. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's more for optics, or in some cases, it's more optics than anything. It's just what people know. I when yeah. I was a freshman or sophomore, I was talking with one of my friends, who was mentoring me, and I was really really mad, and I was asking him, why did nobody, in my eighteen years of life, in church going every week, why did no one tell me about how to pray, mm. how to share the gospel, how to study the word. Mm. I was furious, and he just told me, well, it's probably because nobody told him. Mm. Nobody told them. Yeah. And it hit me, oh, yeah, that's probably true. Most of the people in the churches I grew up in are just loving Jesus, just passing on what they learned. Yeah. Replicating what they saw. Yeah. And so it's... And I think when... when theology and theological education takes the place of that. Yeah. That's when it becomes kind of stagnant and yeah. and uninformative. Because I, I absolutely agree. I think that what you express there is, is something that a lot of teenagers are expressing, like, going through high school. Like, why didn't nobody teach us, like, loan interest or how to do taxes or yeah. how to make car payments or write a check or any of this, yeah. you know? Their teachers still love them. Oh, yeah, still absolutely. Want them to su- everybody in the school wants them to succeed. Yeah. It just wasn't in the curriculum. Right. And I think what the problem is is that we've come to this idea of, of teaching as teaching toward teaching to a test. Yes. Yeah. Instead of teaching for life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So all these church leaders, I'm confident, love the people in their church. And mm-hmm. they want to see those people thrive. Mm-hmm. And they long for the Book of Acts to happen in America. Mm-hmm. I think... On the flip side, the uh, book of Acts is really intense, and the believers pay a very high cost. Yeah. So there are a lot of people who don't want to see it. Yep. But I'm growing in this a lot. I am increasingly quick to expect good intentions, hmm. even from church leaders who are not going after the same thing as me. Sure. 
Yeah. And so I think a lot, a lot of Christians are going to say evangelism is good mm-hmm. or discipleship is good. We would hope. Yeah. <laughs> if they say no, that's, that's a that's, whole, it's other, a whole other. Yeah. So just expecting people to say, yes, that's good. Yeah. And walking with them through the minefield that is unlearning. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of what I call, uh, I've called it on this podcast. I've also used it, uh, elsewhere, but toxic theology. Yeah. Yeah. You have to unlearn it. Yeah. My dad was in the army and basic training. They finally get to use some firearms, which Mm -hmm. for a lot of the guys is a big day. (laughs) Understandably. (laughs) Sure. It's pretty fun. Um, the drill sergeant says, how many of you have ever fired a weapon before? Everybody raise their hand. All right. Some of you might qualify. Hmm. Some of you might finish. Something like that. Uh-huh. And then ask again, how many of you have never fired a weapon in your lives? Raise their hand. Most of you are going to be expert infantry. Whoa. Really? Because they only ever learn one way. Hmm. And it's only from the best. Interesting. Huh. Huh. Okay, so the other useful little military little tidbit that uh-huh. comes to mind. You're talking to a military historian. Okay, so, there I mean. we go. <laughs> military or Marine recruiter is one of the highest honor positions someone in the Marine Corps can have. Hmm. And they only take people right off the front. And though it's a gigantic shift from frontline USMC those are some hard first ones in hard situations my dad was a marine those okay there you go it's a hard situation that those guys are in yeah and then they go to work in a desk job in the states yeah most of them are pretty pissed but they know when a potential recruit walks in and sees this guy who's the first person they're going to meet, mm-hmm. they they need to be able to look at that person and say, I want to be that. Right. And so the Marine recruiter is actually looking to replace himself yeah. on the battlefield, preferably with someone better. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would also add to that uh, perception, too, of the, the Marine recruiter, I, w- I would think, again, assuming best intentions, wants to be able to tell the... Uh, potential recruit the reality of the job yeah and not lie to them yeah you know oh yeah and coming from frontline combat you have a pretty good idea of what the job entails yeah (laughs) you know yeah that that's what i'm learning is Mm. inviting people in and regardless of where they're from regardless of the background yeah whether it's some hard-living fisherman who, at least for me, I haven't really thought about this until recently. Peter, James, and John are probably from a pretty rough part of town. Mm-hmm. They're co-workers, so to speak, probably not living uh, wholesome lives. Sure. If if modern uh, stories about life on a boat are anything to go by. Mm-hmm. So whether people are from that, or High Times and Montecito... Mm-hmm which is a very wealthy neighborhood here in Santa Barbara. I want to walk with that person. Mm. Yeah. And I want to see that person thrive. Yeah. 
evangelism included. Yeah. But as the, what did what did you say earlier? Um, based on the foundation of what Jesus has done for them. Right. Not even what I have said. Right. I, I am so always concerned that people are doing something because I said it. Yeah. Or likewise that I'm doing something because some other leader shared it. Yeah. I'm not their savior. Yeah. Those other people are not mine. Yeah. But there's a high value of leadership. Yeah. In the New Testament. And I think um, one of the things that I've been really, really challenged by because it really forces me to recognize my own habits and my own personal walk is uh, when Paul challenges his his readers to say, you know, imitate me while I imitate Christ. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I've read that passage several times throughout my life. I'm thinking about it too. But then last time I read through it, it just smacked me like right between the eyes of like, oh man, like that means they, they're watching me while I try to imitate Jesus, you yeah. know. Um, so while you imitate the people who went before you, right, right, who were following Jesus, or I don't know, like right, right. So it's it's difficult. It's yeah. a it's a hard. I, I think you mentioned earlier it's a high call on yeah. your life. But I mean, I I think I can speak for both of us that we yeah. wouldn't trade no nope. calls for anything in the world. Nope. You know, give us give us all the riches, all the coffee, all the <laughs> all the well, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all. Give us anything, yeah. and I'm pretty sure we wouldn't say like, you know what, I'm going to abandon my call to to follow that. You know, yeah. so it's, it's true. It's... Um, so to to close out, um, I want to say congratulations. Oh, because you. you uh you are the first what? guest to go over an hour long on this podcast. What's up? <laughs> High score. <laughs> so congratulations. First try. Um, and, you know, it It doesn't shock me that we <laughs> went this long. No. Because uh, in preparing, I said, like, oh, yeah, half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. But, like, once we get talking, we get talking. We're, you know? we're rolling. Yeah. That's so, it. Uh, anyway, thank you, Alex, for joining me for uh, this installment of the Thursday's Theology Podcast. To, to everybody who's listening, thanks for joining uh, me and Alex in Ooh. our conversation about evangelism. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, comments, whatever, uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to, we'd love to chat. Uh, but that being said, my name is Jeff. Um, I am your host of the Thursday's Theology Podcast. And uh, remember, theology doesn't always have to be difficult. It is simply the study of who God is. Take care. We'll see you next time. Eyes in the sky, gazing far into the night. I raise my hand to the fire, but it's no use. Cause you can't stop it from shining through.